You're listening to Thinkers What Works podcast. I'm your host, Jason Todd. Today with my co-host, Alex Gary, and co-co-host, Cassie Stewart, who's also a producer on the What Works podcast. Thanks for being here. And our special guest is Dave Burns, who's the president. Um, Dave, welcome to the What Works podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. So Midway Village Museum, what is this entity? We are Rockford's History Museum. Okay. So we are a, a local history museum, but we also tackle state and national history as well uh, as they impact our community. And we have a $50,000 50, square foot <laughs> museum center with exhibits and, and things about the history of Rockford. And we also have a 26-building a historical village where we recreate life as it was at the end of the 19th century here in northern Illinois. And we also have 148 acres, which we use uh, in part for reenactments. Uh, so we reenact uh, historical battles, um, different periods in, in history, Civil War, World War I, World War II, uh, as they impacted uh, the community of Rockford. Awesome. So if you think about the purpose of the museum, what do you think the, how would you characterize the purpose of the museum for the community? Our purpose is to collect and preserve the artifact history of our community. Uh, we interpret that history for the community through public programming, through exhibits, through special events. Uh, and we make people aware of the history, the incredible history, I believe, of this uh, community and how it's impacted both the the uh, the state and the nation. And how long have you been president, or how long have you been at the museum? Twenty years. Twenty years. Wow. Mm -hmm. So you've seen a lot of a lot of change and a lot of growth in the community as well. Absolutely, I've seen the community when it's been down, and I've seen the community when it's been up. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So the Midway, View, Midway Village Museum, you have 148 acres, you're doing reenactments, you also have this 50,000 square foot building, and then how many outbuildings, you said 20? 20, About 26. 26. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And these these buildings are what? I mean, what, what it, it's always a challenge, right? We have, we, have, we have the video here, but we've got this audio program Tell us about this village. What is this village? Oh, it's a, it's a tremendous asset for the community. Our earliest building comes from 1838. So these aren't buildings you remade necessarily. Some we've had to recreate, okay. and others we moved to the site. Uh, they're original really? buildings, right. Uh, so 1838 would have been four years after Rockford was first founded. Oh, wow. So it's a very early building. Which um, one's that? That's the Marsh House. Okay. Uh, it's an upright and wing, uh -huh. uh, an old uh, Greek Revival-style house. Uh, it was built by the Marsh family, uh, which is an incredible family, uh, incredible history in and of themselves. And um, we also have a building from 1840, uh, which was created by Mari Brown, who came here from Alton, uh, Illinois, because he was an abolitionist, and Alton uh, at that time was very hostile to the abolitionist point of view. So he decided to relocate his family to Rockford uh, to be in a community that was more like his thinking. Wow. How did you get into being uh, involved in a museum? Well, um, I'm guessing this is something. This when is I was a little boy, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was on my mother's lap. So, <laughs> I mean, sometimes our dreams do go back that far. But I'm guessing you didn't go to school and be like, "Hey, here's you know, 
uh, you know, bachelor's of museum directing? Uh, no, I, um, <laughs> I wanted to be a history professor. Um, oh, okay. All right. But in, in the 1970s, after the end of the Vietnam War, uh, colleges were closing history departments left and right because students were leaving college because they didn't have to avoid the draft oh. anymore. So um, <laughs> uh, there weren't very many college professor jobs. So I started looking, what else can I do with a history degree? And I got involved in, in museum work. What was your first job? Uh, my first job was in uh, Salem, West Virginia, uh, working at uh, a collection of log cabins, uh, talking about the folk cultures and the folk traditions of, of West Virginia. And Salem, okay, so you went from West Virginia, Salem. Now that's got a that's got a whole history on unto its own. Mm-hmm. How far history? Do you remember how far that history goes back? Well, the history we are going back it was folk history, so it's it's not as well documented, but at least 18th century. Really. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you so you went there, and then what takes on your journey? How do you end up back in Rockford, or in Rockford? Oh well, the next place I went to was um, Norwalk, Connecticut, where we were restoring a 19th century mansion uh, built by by a man by the name of the Grand Lockwood, and um, it's a national historic landmark. Um, and uh, we worked on restoring those the rooms, exquisite, exquisite uh, decorative arts. Um, and I was there for 12 years, 15 years, something like that. Then I did a brief stint at, um, at a place called Sacred Heart University. And then I went to the Rye Historical Society in Rye, New York, where we were restoring an 18th century, 17th century, I'm sorry, 17th century farmhouse, uh, the third oldest building in New York State, uh, the Timothy Knapp House. Uh, and we were uh, working on the restoration of that building. And uh, I was there for about three and a half years, and then I came here to to Rockford. Wow! So, what is it about? So what is it about this process of restoration? Because it seems like you've been in a lot of places where you're restoring things. What is it about that process of restoration that sort of speaks to you? Oh gosh, when you're holding something uh, in the same way someone held it 200 years before you. The feelings that I get, anyway, yeah. are um, are incredible. Um, but I'm that kind of person, anyway. I remember uh, going to uh, visit some uh, Civil War battlefields, which is how I got interested in history in the first place. Yeah. And uh, someone said, "Oh, it, it's just a big old field." <laughs> and I said, "No, you walk the same places where these soldiers walked." 150 yeah. years ago. Do you find yourself getting lost in those thoughts as you're looking at something? You're mm-hmm. thinking, there are people from another time who had a whole life, and they knew nothing about me. They right. weren't considering me, and yet well, now I'm here. In a way they were. Well, because maybe they were, sure. They were sacrificing their lives so that I could live the life that I lead. To. Sure. And they were wrapped up in their own They're wrapped up in their own worlds in that moment, and here I am in my moment, mm-hmm. living my own. I wonder if they also thought, Oh, but there was another time when someone else was standing in this same land, right? It's sort of like Inception, yeah. you know? Yes. Yeah. That's what's kind of cool about, and that's why I'm sitting in here, because yeah. I, Dave knows me. I started out as a history major, too. I did and not know I, this. I, I, my first year, and then I thought, what am I going to do with this? But I love history, and I love all that. And I've gone to the the reenactments that mm-hmm. they do at the at the museum, at the village, and I said, it's like in a time, you're in a time machine, yeah. machine because you are actually – there while there's a skirmish a battle going on and and the reenactors are i mean you're in this little french village that's where it was last year you know that you're observing it yeah and it's just incredible to like living history i have a question though um from what i've been reading is museums are struggling with the newer generation which is just so immersed in digital stuff Mm -hmm. and not so much immersed in picking up 
artifacts or looking at old artifacts. How are you trying? How are you keeping Midway Village relevant for that new digital age that everything has to be a video game? Well, I think the uh, the first thing is is that we are making more of our collections available online, um, and and it's a slow process. Uh, but we now have more than 2,000 images and documents and, and, and things that you can access online uh, and at any time. Uh, so you can learn a lot about Rockford history just by looking at the old photographs of downtown or in different parts of the city, uh, of different businesses. Um, we are constantly uploading I think that's the term, uh, uploading uh, new images <laughs> uh, uh, to our digital website. Um, so that's one way is that we try to make these uh, available to people in a, in a means that, that they find more I interesting than them, more accessible. Um, and then secondly, I think that uh, in addition to when we do exhibit design, we do uh, include more interactives uh, today in our, on our exhibit design. It's not all computer interactives, but for ex uh, one of the examples of using uh, computers is that in our Many Faces, One Community exhibit, we talk about the furniture industry, which was a big driver of immigration to Rockford uh, in the 19th century. And you can go into the office in the furniture factory, and you, you can apply for a job. Um, and you can talk about what skills and qualifications you have, and it will come back and tell you, uh, what what kind of job you could have had in in, in a furniture company uh, back in the 19th century? And if you weren't Swedish, you probably wouldn't get hired. Or <laughs> well, we, know, yes, we also have this modified. module saying that if you were one of the discriminated classes, you might not get a job at all, or you get one of the menial jobs. This wow. actually, this building's first year, this opened as a furniture factory. There, you, there you right. go. And then, yeah. then it became a hardware. But we, that, that, when I was looking back, this whole block was just entirely furniture. Mm -hmm. store, furniture. Well, between 1870 and 1930, there were more than a hundred uh, furniture making companies didn't, didn't in Rockford. This Rockford then kind of helped rebuild Chicago. Yes, because they lost all of their everything in the fire. So that was that the really impetus. Rockford boom. <laughs> they saw a market. Was it really the impetus? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, they realized that all those people are going to need furniture once those buildings were built. And then, of course, as Chicago gets rebuilt, they start with this new idea of building apartment buildings. Um, and so Rockford responds by creating furniture for apartments. Uh, and we have the combination desk and, and bookcase type of thing because obviously you didn't have as much room uh, for a lot of different kinds of furniture as you once did. So so back to this idea that I think that Alex brought up, which is we have a whole generation of people who are used to interacting, um, maybe not in such a, um, I'm thinking maybe, they're used, they're used to interacting in a, in a faster way, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. with, with their information. Yes. Right? There's an immediacy to the information. There's an immediacy to my game. There's a quick return on my, my uh my my click of a button mm -hmm. and i feel like history much like reading a book is kind of the slow return <laughs> right yes. where you make this deep investment of time of consideration of sitting with my thoughts and then there are connections that build over time mm -hmm. how are you how are you impacting a generation that doesn't appreciate or maybe i'm wrong maybe they do appreciate the slow return but how how are you how are you as a museum serving those people and, and maybe encouraging them to go for the slow return? Well, I think uh, primarily what we're doing is we're trying to reach out to new audiences using the variety of, of um, platforms 
that you have in social media. So we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, uh, we're on LinkedIn. So we try to at least communicate that in, in that way. And then what we try to do is explain that once you get to the museum, it's that personal interaction, that you that personal experience that you're going to get that makes it more, um, more maybe more meaningful mm -hmm. than just going to see a, a static exhibit of artifacts and things like that. So those those uh, sort of dynamic exhibits that you're talking about, where you have reenactments and mm -hmm. and I've been, it's been some time since I've been to the museum. I think the last time I was there for was for a wedding actually, in in I guess the church. Mm -hmm. Okay, right? you have a, yeah. I think you have a church on the church, site, right? Right. Is that um, is that kind of a typical use of kind of those spaces? People come for spe specific it's, events. It's and one of the ways. Yes, enjoy well, the grounds. Most of our attendance is driven by the special events. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we then, don't we don't get as much casual visitation as perhaps you know you might get at other places. Sure. So you've got these special events that you utilize the different um, properties for. Mm -hmm. or I guess you have one property, but the different buildings for. Right. Uh, and then you've got these reenactments. Correct. Now talk talk to us about these reenactments. Take us through a reenactment. What is it? Well, a reenactment is that we create an event where we we create sort of the the culture of the times uh, in the in, in that period. So. You know, we're not going to do the Battle of Verdun, for example. I don't even know what the Battle of Verdun is. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, see, that's why we don't do it. I tried. So I really <laughs> appreciate how the, history. How about, how about the Battle of the Bulge? <laughs> okay. <all right. laughs> okay. So we don't recreate, recreate the Battle of the Bulge. But what we will do is create uh, a tactical encounter between um, – allied and axis forces for example um, and then what we do is we have all these encampments through encampments throughout the uh, the village and on the grounds because we have over 1200 reenactors that come out wow and they represent a whole variety i mean obviously there's british and american and german but we have polish we have canadian we have it's a culture uh, all, all, it's all these people will spend you know 20 weekends a, a year just traveling and doing their reenactments. It's Absolutely, like they're, their yeah. own little culture. They they're see in each character. Other. Yes. Too. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in, in the little town, I mean, they were in the cafe. Um, there, during the one skirmish before it happened, there was some, some um, allied uh, soldiers who were getting a little frisky with some of the local French women, and mm -hmm. they got their clocks cleaned because <laughs> really? it was, you know, it's and like that's it's, all part of it. All part of it. And mm -hmm. you were you were watching this. And that's why I said it feels like it's a time machine because you're standing there watching. This it's very cool. They do a lot of little vignettes, if you will. Mm -hmm. Really, things, yeah, something's always and that's going all kind on of pre-programmed, or, yeah. right. mm -hmm. or does and it happen organically? And they do, tell do you people kind of know. Um, they they plan it ahead of time. It may be just the morning of. They say we'd like to do this, oh. this, and this, but um, but yeah, they uh, they they they, they plan these out. It to you too, like right. the, the, whoever, like the general. He says this is what we're going to be watching. Like this is mm -hmm. this is what happened, and like we we think we've secured this village, but. And there's some Germans back there, you know that. Right. So you kind of know what to watch for, and mm -hmm. yeah. absolutely. And it's incredible. Um, my favorite is the the Soviet uh, vignette where where the Soviet soldiers are sort of like looting the town. Yeah. <laughs> and then they get they they run into some trouble from some German soldiers. So. Yeah. So how far back when we look at history, you know, history is is constantly being written. Mm -hmm. Let's say right. Mm -hmm. So how far back in history do you do you go back? I mean, are, are you going well, uh, the things that are historical now. Correct. Right? Like yes. we had a space shuttle. Yes. We don't have a flying space shuttle anymore. So yes. uh, 
do you go, will you ever or when will you go into things like that or or is that not is that not the role of Midway Village Museum is it is that the role of some some different museum right I mean our role is to talk about uh, Rockford okay. uh, as a community um, and we we sort of bleed out and do a little bit of Northern Illinois uh, as well uh, but I like to base our interpretation on the artifact record that we have mm-hmm. um, but. Uh, but we will go back to 1834, so we'll go back to the founding uh, of our town. Uh, and then going forward, yes, I mean, I'm, the discussion that we have periodically is when are we going to do a Vietnam um, oh, uh, yeah. reenactment yeah. because we had so many uh, young men that, that went and served in Vietnam. In fact, the Vietnam uh, Memorial is on our grounds as well. So um, it's just it's very costly to bring in all those helicopters, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yes, we 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 try to move into uh, the twentieth and even the twenty first century when we can uh, to talk about uh, today. Well, they, you know, know, you've got like the nineteen eighty presidential election, which had Ronald Reagan from Dixon mm-hmm. and John Anderson from Rockford. From Rockford, so exactly. Like, we're, we're, are we getting to the to the point where that's that's in your purview, like nineteen, you know, or is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh yeah, we've 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 done exhibits on John Anderson before. Mm-hmm. Um, he before he passed away, he very generously donated a bunch of bunch of material to us as well. So there's a number of of Rockfordians who have gone on to national. So who's your favorite? Uh, do you have like you know? I'm sure every, everybody in history has Uh-oh. when when you like history, right? There's always somebody in history that you really mm-hmm. like to look into. Like right. right now, I'm on a U.S. Grant kick. Mm-hmm. Who's your Rockford? person that that you do you enjoy looking into and talking about oh wow that's a good question <laughs> um there are so many characters who's still that family who might be a good donor <laughs> <laughs> um i think i think a lot of our aviation uh people are are particularly interesting because it was almost like you had to be a character in order to to fly these things. Oh, because you got you got Bert Fish Hassel's plane out there. Yeah, right? we have yeah. Fish Hassel's airplane. Was the woman pilot who didn't she actually fly either before Amelia Earhart or she actually made it? She didn't get lost. This podcast. <laughs> we have four history buffs. In really? This I know. <laughs> I, I'm not a history. I'm not okay, a history buff. We got three. three yeah. right? I did. I almost failed history despite well, yeah. my intense studying. The, the um, specifics get lost on me. No, but Beska Race is the person you're referring to, uh, who is the first woman in America to fly a solo flight. Period. She flew in 1910. And of course, Amelia Earhart doesn't come until the 1920s. Is she 30s. from Rockford? Yeah, yeah. She went to Rockford High School. Yeah. Her really? plane's in yeah. there, isn't her plane in the? I'm trying to think the in the somebody's plane. <laughs> There's a plane in there. Yeah, uh, we don't have her plane. Her display. Uh, uh, she actually flew yeah. on Long Island, but okay. um, uh, and and the early days of, of aviation are just it's crazy history. It really is, you know. Uh, Beska Rache and her husband built their airplane in their living room, basically. To, to a really? Of thing. Yeah. And the reason why they did that is because people were trying to steal their secrets all the time. Oh. So they built it in, inside their home so that they could close the drapes and no one could see what they were doing. And and was that in the time when you know wings were fabric and stuff? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know they were competing against people like Len Curtis and uh, and things like that to to try to build a better airplane. So, so yeah, it was, uh, I, there was a lot of money involved in early aviation, a lot of prize money. And so people were, were competing against each other all the time. So do you think that the, I mean, you've, you've been from community to community, <clears throat> kind of restoring history and making people aware of the history that this surrounds them, it mm-hmm. seems. 
do you do you feel that by knowing and understanding the history that surrounds you that instills a a better community spirit or a better oh, absolutely. Like what does it do for yeah. a person's heart and soul well and uh, you know i was mentioning before i mean all these young people are running around they don't know anything about the history of rockford and they look around and they look at all the problems and they say oh rockford's a city with a lot of problems you know all cities have a lot of problems but we'll, <laughs> we'll go on but but if you but once you're aware of the accomplishments that this community has achieved over the last 160 years um, you know, then you, you, you appreciate the fact that, yes, you know, Rockford has had to overcome obstacles in the past, and uh, it will do so again. Um, you have to be inventive. You have to be, you have to be resourceful. You have to be determined. Uh, and you have to learn how to accept setbacks. And, you know, when life knocks you down, you have to learn to get up, dust yourself off, and go again and, and st- keep working at it, which is the story of Rockford. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to a lot of people. But when Rockford was first founded, the assumption amongst the residents was that they were going to connect to the major market in the Midwest of the 1830s, which was New Orleans. You you shipped your goods down the Mississippi River. Steamboat, steamboats brought finished goods back up. And that was the trade relationship internally in this country for the Midwest. Rock River was not going to let you do that. <laughs> Current was way too strong. Right. Uh, and the technology of the time, the steamboats could not make it up the river. Um, the story of the Gypsy, uh, which was the first steamboat ever to come to Rockford, the, the story is that they could see the Gypsy all day trying to fight its way up the Rock River, <laughs> and it didn't get it there until the evening. <laughs> so, are you, so are you saying... I need my dry goods. So are you saying that the people who came from... So we're saying people came from Chicago or that area to found Rock Well, they came, from, they came from Pennsylvania, they okay. came from New York, they came from So they New came England. from out east, they stopped at the, right. they stopped at the right. Rock River, and they thought, and this they is the place. And they passed through they Chicago, sh- but it was just a fort at that time. And they should have gone two... <laughs> you're saying they should have gone two hours west, and, the, and it would have hit the Mississippi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So they were stuck. <laughs> what were they going to do, right? Yeah. And and it was really when the railroad came through in 1852 that we were connected to Chicago, and with the, I hate to say it, I'm an up, I'm an upstater from New York, but the Erie Canal made it all of a sudden economically feasible to send your 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 goods mm-hmm. due due east, and Chicago was paying better prices for things like hogs and grains and things like that. So our and that's when our attention shifted to Chicago, and we have been uh, in Chicago's orbit ever since. The other thing, um, in terms of history, um, it seems like we're circling back uh, to celebrating history. You know, all these cities are seeing development back in downtown areas mm-hmm. because people want to be in the old buildings. They want to be in the unique stuff. Yep. So. Um, what you've been doing for 20 years, it seems like that's catching on all over the country. I think so, because, uh, again, to me, dealing directly with the artifacts, holding the artifacts that someone 100 years ago used, uh, it just gives me a tremendous thrill. Um, and I think that people are beginning to see that you know, living in these old buildings isn't, isn't quite so bad anymore. Uh, and that you can you can rehab them, you can you can turn them into something new, um, and uh, there's just a, a lot richer texture to them, um, and 
uh, it's just leads to, I believe, a better quality of life because you're in, in surroundings that are that are more pleasing. That's what I love about why these museums are so important because we we're talking. I know the programs going on there, and that the, the, you're taking history to the Rockford Public Schools mm-hmm. too, because they aren't teaching local history. They don't have the resources to teach local history. So Midway Village Museum is providing that. Yes, and I think that helps too. To that point, that that you know we don't we can't appreciate what we don't know. Exactly. And exactly. So when you are doing that, you know. And- and, and and the point I actually want to go back to the Rock River just for a minute. Yeah, the the point about the my point about the Rock River is that it failed as a connection to the market in New Orleans. And that's when they started to say, What else can we do with this thing? Well it has a strong current. Can it turn a turbine? Can it turn a wheel? And that's when they started building uh the, the water power district and that was the beginning of our industrialization. Innovation. Was, yep. <laughs> was the building of the uh, and that was all done by the citizens of Rockford. There were no Chicago financiers. There were no New York financiers, no outside companies. That was all done, financed, and built by the citizens of Rockford. Well, that, that is one of the unique things about Rockford. We've always tried to be kind of an island unto ourselves, and uh, for good or for bad, right? There's that, there's that whole thing about the seven deadly sins of Rockford. We didn't want NIU here because the factory owners didn't want an educated workforce, right? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't want I-90 going down the middle of our, you know, we wanted it out on the east side, things like that. So that's one of the things about Rockford that's kind of unique is we're right next to Chicago, but for all those decades, we just wanted to be an island under ourselves outside of their, their sphere. Well, I think if you look at I-90... Um, you know, go up to the, um, you know, high altitude level to look at it. It made sense for the engineers to, to make that curve and go up to, you know, Beloit and Madison mm-hmm. and everything like that at that point. Um, so actually, um, but you're right. There are times when, um, when the citizens of Rockford have been sort of against including some things that, that maybe they should have been for, um, but um, but I ninety was I don't think it was one of them. I think um, yeah, I know that that Cherryville Mall was originally going to be located in Rockford, and the downtown merchants didn't want it, you know, and things like that. Um, which in the end might be okay. Pardon? <laughs> now we're, now it might be. be. Yeah, it's like, hey, good thing we didn't have that. Well, my, 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 my takeaway, because many of our listeners have no idea what we're talking about in Rockford. Um, but my takeaway from this, from, from your comments about Rockford and, and, and our community, is that a people who, who moved to a certain area expecting a result didn't, didn't achieve the result. It's not possible given the resources that they have. And instead of lamenting their issues they instead turn around and say yeah but what resources do we have and how can we be great and boom a community is made great and an, revo- an industrial revolution of, of our own mm-hmm. is is made and without a museum like yours that history is lost right and then people tend to to revert back into a woe is me attitude mm-hmm. which is true of any community and any person anywhere in the exactly. planet exactly so I find it I find it inspiring, yeah. and and um, you know it's been many years since I've been to the Midway Village Museum, um, and I think it's a reason to go back, right? To, right. To Absolutely. get reconnected with your history. Absolutely. So as we close out this podcast, what is what's one? I'm thinking like one interesting thing people wouldn't expect when they visit 
uh, Midway Village Museum. The comment that I hear is, oh, I didn't know you've made all these changes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, I guess people have to go back <laughs> to see those changes. changes. <laughs> all um, right. The thing we're most proud of, I think, is there are many faces one community exhibit. And, I, yeah. and one of the reasons for that is that for a long time, we were sort of identified with one ethnic group. Um, and we've really worked hard to try to become more representative of all the cultures uh, here in Rockford. So, Are you talking um, about Swedes? Yes. <laughs> all right. We're not going to get. We're not going to get into this. Just, no one wants I, to hear it. I just it. looked with it because right. we have so a lot more Germans in Sweden. So <laughs> I've always wondered why that. You know, all right. We're going to stop beating the drum. Okay. <laughs> all right. So I want to thank you for being on the What Works podcast. Now I would be remiss in not talking about the cool video stuff that we've got going on here. Now I contacted an organization that does video conferencing, mm -hmm. uh, and they have this cool little thing called the Meeting Owl. It sits in the middle of the table, and then it tracks a 360-degree view of the room, and then dynamically figures out who's speaking, and then centers them on the bottom of the screen, which our which our video viewers are seeing that right now. You're uh -huh. seeing that right now. See, I'm looking at you. <laughs> looking at you. I should have shaved. Uh. Yeah, right. <laughs> Me too. Uh, and. And they were gracious enough when I said, hey, I want to use this as the world's first integrated podcast video thing. Mm -hmm. They're gracious enough to send us one and get the word out about the cool thing that they're doing, too. So shout out to the Meeting Owl folks. It's at meetingowl.com. You owe it to yourself to go see it for your video conferencing needs or if you want uh, to do this type of thing with your podcast and videocast. But, uh, Dave, this this really been um, – I do actually like history. I really struggled with history because I can't remember details about uh -huh. dates and people's names and stuff like that and battles. Um, but I love the thread of it. And much like you, I like standing in a place and I can get lost in thinking about all the people who came before mm -hmm. and the lives and they and – they, just like I'm sometimes giving no consideration to what's happening 100 years from now, right? <laughs> they may have not, or maybe they were, right? Yep. But they were existing in their own space, uh, totally unique. Uh, and I love to get lost in that. So I think people can do that at Midway Village Museum. Thanks for being on the What We're Podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure Thanks, to be Dave. here. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. The What Works Podcast is a production of Thinker Ventures. Learn more at thinkerventures.com.